Hello and thanks for tuning in to this episode of the ALT Learn podcast. I'm John Tate and I'll be your host over the next 30 minutes as we break down the science behind how our students really learn, what this pedagogy looks like in the classroom and get to find out how our teachers are turning all this theory into practice. So let's dive into this week's episode. Welcome to episode three of the ALT Learn podcast, where we're going to continue our focus of giving staff the very best tips and advice on remote learning, as our new normal for the foreseeable future is delivering teaching directly into the homes of our students. If you haven't already listened to either of the first two episodes of this podcast, I would uh, hugely urge you to do so, because we've already had two cracking episodes where Chris Brown and Rob McGreal discussed how to structure, plan and deliver live lessons in episode one. And then in episode two, Emma Dunwoody spoke to me about the benefit of using recorded lessons as part of your remote learning offer. But in today's episode, we're going to look at a whole host of teaching and learning tips that you can use to help your remote lessons run smoothly, increase the engagement and interaction with your students, how you can monitor and assess what they're doing, and also how you can support them even from a distance. It's going to be a real smorgasbord of tips that you can pick up and use right away. So I'm delighted to say that with me today to share her own top tips and the ones that she's been crowdsourcing from staff at Stokesy School is Lizzie Fox, Director of Teaching and Learning at Stokesy School and a member of the Trustwide Teaching and Learning team. Hello, Lizzie, and thank you for being with me today. Morning, John. Thank you for having me. I'm really looking forward to this. Brilliant. And, and, and I'm really kind of looking forward to, you know, people getting lots of ideas this morning. And like I said a, you know, a few seconds ago, I think it's going to be a real, um, you know, a smorgasbord of ideas that, you know, if you are listening and you, you've got a pen and paper ready or you want to kind of flick between your notes app on your phone. Um, I know from speaking to, to, to Lizzie over the last few days when we've been planning this, that um, you know, she's got some amazing ideas, uh, not all of her own, like I, I think she'll, she'll mention in a minute, that have been crowdsourced from, from the staff uh, that, you know, at, at Stokes. That's right, isn't it, Lizzie? Yeah, absolutely. I think I definitely want to reiterate what you just said there, John, about the, you know these not all being my ideas. I'm by no means the most tech-savvy human in the world, but I am experimental and I do like talking to people. Um, so I think you know the the ideas that you're going to hear today on, on this podcast are, are very, very much um, a collaborative process. Um, I've been really lucky to be able to draw on the rich expertise of the fabulous stuff here at Stokesley School and, um, and their willingness, sometimes more than mine, I think, actually, to experiment with this, this new way of working. So a massive, massive thanks to them and, um, you know, a massive heads up to you and the schools that you're working in, too, to get there, get out there, get talking to people and, and see what they're trying, because I've certainly learned loads. And that's it, isn't it? I think, I think you know, some of the most powerful ways that we found of... of um kind of you know collaborating between staff and, and getting those ideas from the ground is, is, is by speaking to the practitioners that are doing it day in and day out um, and I know f- from my position that you know I'm not I'm not really teaching anymore so I'm not the you know the um, the, the font of all knowledge and um, being able to bring those ideas together uh, from all from the from the teachers who, who are doing this day in and day out, I think it's really powerful I think we should never we shouldn't forget that so uh, yeah I'm really looking forward to this and, um, and, and and I'm really looking forward to seeing after this how people kind of put this into into practice. So let's kick off. Um, we know that a live lesson is very different to a normal classroom lesson, and it, it requires a very set of a different set of tools, really, Lizzie, to order in order to manage it successfully. And I think we've we've certainly seen that over the last kind of few weeks. So, what have you found to be the best hints, tips, and tricks that you've picked up, or like you said, from your from the staff, in order to make things run as smoothly as possible? Yeah, I think you're absolutely right there, John, in terms of it being a different set of tools that you need. But just like you would need to be for a normal lesson in your normal classroom, you just absolutely need to be as prepared as you can be. Uh, You know, have the the things that you need open on the screen, be ready with anything that you might need to maybe demonstrate something in a lesson or a bit of pen and a bit of paper to write stuff down. Um, I think it's it's um, it's really important. you. that you do a lot of practical things like ensuring that you're the first person in a Google Meet because uh, when you're the first person in there um, you've then got the power of muting and ejecting which is quite useful and not something you particularly want one of your tenants to have the power to do. <laughs> um, if, you, um, if you're not sure how to do that you can make it so that the link for the lesson is only available to students when you're ready so I know I've got a couple of instances for example where I'm ending one lesson and the next lesson is beginning almost immediately uh, in a normal school building, you'd have that transition time where they were walking between buildings, but you, you haven't got that online. So um, have a look at your settings and see if you can work it out so that you are just the first person in that meet and they only get access to it once you're in. Yeah, um, I, I was going to say that, that's super useful because, you know, we, we've all been um, trained through our teacher training. And I know it's difficult uh, at the moment, or it has been difficult this term when we've been moving classrooms, but we've all been trained to make sure that you are there before the students, you're on the corridor, you, um, <clears throat> sorry, you greet them into your classroom. And I think that's, you know, if we can try to do exactly like you've said there, to make it 
as 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 close to that experience as possible then you know you you're inviting students in on your terms whereas if they're there, they're there before you they're creating their own ground rules before you get there aren't they so the, the more we can you know make it more lifelike i think that, that's really useful absolutely and you're there setting that tone from the start aren't you and, and that was actually another of the, the points i was going to make i think it's um one of the things we've certainly found is some of our students are more reluctant to speak uh, in in Google Meets uh, online than they might be in the classroom. But saying hello to them as they join one by one often gives them the that you know you're setting that tone from the start. This is a lesson where we speak to one another, and and often when there are fewer of them there, they tend to unmute and say hello back as well, um, which is really really nice. I I, I like that. I, I like that from a. I'm a parent as well as a school leader and I think I really like that just from a just from a human interaction point of view you know and a and an unconditional respect I just think that's really nice and certainly when you speak to uh, behavior and relationship experts you know they always talk about you know things like we've seen on on YouTube things about shaking hands as people come in or whatever you do but the fact that you are addressing each person individually uh, I, I just think shows a level of high relationships respect um, and, I, and I just think that, that that's great for for relationships and behavior management down the line. Yeah, it puts you on your your virtual door, so to speak, doesn't it? Welcoming mm. them in and, and setting that tone from the start. Absolutely. Um, it also, like I said before, breaks that seal for them of, of, of silence. You know, mm -hmm. they're in there, they're talking, they've, they've started doing that straight away. Um, I think, you know, you asked me about um, about sort of tips and tricks to make things run smoothly. I think another one um, is, is to do with taking the register. It's obviously just as important that we're taking those registers for students online than we are than it is when we're in the classroom with them in, in, in real life, as it were. There's a couple of things that you can do to make that easier. The first is to ask all students to unmute before you start doing the register so mm -hmm. that they are very quick with their response rather than you waiting for them, you know, to find the unmute button to unmute it to then say, um, yes, miss or hello, miss. Um, and then in those who I know we've got some students, particularly here, and I'm sure you have in other schools, too, with um, with issues with their microphones. Um, but if they can get ready, if they can type here, miss or here, sir, in the in the chat before before the register and then just press enter, you know, when when their name is called, that speeds that process up too. I know sometimes I'm, I've struggled with flicking back and forth between the two screens as well. But if you um, you can ask a trusted student in the group to say they've said hello in the chat, they're here, they're not here. Um, that's another thing that really speeds that up too. Fantastic. And I think, I think otherwise, if, if you haven't got those little tips and tricks for registers ready to go, then I, I you know, I presume, um, again, having not done this myself yet, but if, having seen this as well with my own kind of kids from, from their school, that it can, it can, be, it can take quite a lot of time, can't it, in the, in the start of the lesson. And that's the last thing you want to do is that you, you know, you've got everyone in, you've got ready, you've said hello to people, you're upbeat, and then suddenly the, the lesson takes a massive nosedive because it takes 10 minutes to do your register. So I think that the more we can do that and be efficient in our in our time there, then, uh, you know, we, we, we can get things going uh, off, off, the, you know, off straight away. Like, again, like you would want to do in a classroom. You know, you wouldn't want to build the engagement levels in the classroom and then suddenly you know, drop the intensity because you, you you have to do a lot of admin in terms of registers and stuff like that in the classroom. So yeah, I, I think that's really useful. Yeah, I totally agree. And also, you know, linking those two things we've already talked about together, when you say hello to the students um, when they first enter the classroom, it absolutely, actually really helps you with the register too because you've acknowledged that student, they've said hello back. So actually you've got a good idea of the register in your head already. Brilliant. Uh, I think a couple of other tips that I've had from staff here that have, have really helped me. Um, one of them is having your presentation open twice. So if you're sharing your screen in the Google Classroom or in whatever classroom you're using with students, obviously you don't want to be flicking forward to check what's coming next. <laughs> but if you open that presentation a second time, or if you're old school and you want to print it out and have it in front of you, that enables you then you to flick backwards and forwards without having to, um, without the students having to see that you're doing that. You can leave that, that slide up that they need to be able to see. Perfect. And that sounds like a little bit like presenter mode, I suppose. I know when I've spoken at conferences and stuff, you know, you can have it in presenter mode so you can see what's coming next, but the audience can't. I suppose it's, it's the same idea there, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I rely really heavily in my classroom on freezing the screen, but um, you can't do that in a in a virtual classroom in the same way. Um, so it, it works and it does that job. Brilliant. Um, I think the other thing is, um, I didn't realise you can do this. There are extensions that do it, but you can actually do it in, in Google itself. There's the three little buttons at the bottom. You can change the view um, the view on your screen so you can see all of your students at one time. Um, and that's made my job. Like, so you can just, you, as a 
there's like a scroll bar that you can scroll up to, you know, how many you can see up to 30 or 40 at the same time, or you can narrow it much further down. It just changes the size of the box. Um, but for things like when students are unmuting or when they're putting their virtual hands up, it just gives you a far clearer picture of who it was that did that without having to kind of, you know, go back and forth. Go, did someone just put their hand up? Which is what <laughs> I spent my first week doing. Um, yeah. So that's good. And and then on that kind of subject, there is a whole wealth of Chrome extensions that are out there. I was yet to be introduced to the world of Chrome extensions and then now spend quite a lot of my time scrolling through them. Um, <laughs> there's a, um, a really good one that was introduced. A science teacher in our school uh, told me about called Annotate, mm -hmm. which allows you to kind of freely annotate web pages in Google Slides when you're presenting. So it turns them into PDFs, basically, but it allows you to write on them. So like you would on the whiteboard if you're, if you're missing having a whiteboard. Um, but it means if you're going through um, like the workings out for a question, for example, you can demonstrate that on there um, on the slide. But then it's also there when you go back. So if you go back to that slide later in the in the lesson to be, do a bit of retrieval to revisit something, those annotations are still there uh, for you to look back on. Um, there's also something called Jamboard, which I know um, Robin has. So one uses quite a lot with his his math students, which enables kind of groups of students to collaborate on on one whiteboard at the same time, which does does the same kind of job. Um, and then the final extension, I think it's, it's worth mentioning while we're on this idea of making your lesson from smoothing. It's, it's, it's such a silly little thing, but it's made a big difference to me. Um, there's a Chrome extension called Volume Master. And I didn't know this was humanly possible on a computer, but enables you to turn the volume up on any tab to, to 600% what it currently is. Um, and if you're sharing a video with your students, you can make that screen much louder so that they can hear it. But also some of them, you know, the, the volume levels in their houses or web, wherever they are working is, is, is reduced for some reason. If their microphone isn't particularly good, you can turn them right up and hear them far more easily. Wow, fantastic. I mean, just, I mean, I was going to say fantastic to all of the things you kind of mentioned before you even got onto Chrome extensions. And then the fact that Chrome extensions just kind of blew my mind as well, as it probably has done with a lot of other people listening now. And I, I think that people will probably be frantically uh, searching Chrome extensions now and seeing what else they can kind of add on uh, and use innovatively in their classroom. I mean, th some of those are, are going to be big game changes for people over the next few weeks so uh yeah that, well fantastic and and what a start we're only one question in uh, and we've already <laughs> given people so many golden nuggets already um and there are a lot more coming i know that right so um you know, we know as well that you know even though we're doing remote learning that not everyone may be working on a nice shiny laptop and i know that there are um you know that there are a lot of students uh, certainly at Stokesy that have Chromebooks but looking across the trust uh, and also for anybody else listening to this from anywhere else that you know we, we sometimes forget that just because we're creating our remote learning uh, lessons and resources on maybe a nice laptop it might not be received uh, you know by somebody you know, you know listening to it or watching it on a laptop they might be watching it on a phone um, or, or even if they have got a laptop they might not know how to use it to its full potential so how can we make it as simple as possible for students to access the lesson materials that we've put together? Yeah, I think that's a really, really good question. And I think it's definitely worth considering because you tend to only think about the situation that you're in and what your, you know, what you what resources you've got available to you, don't you? But mm. I think the most valuable um sort of input I had for this was actually popping in and, and just doing a bit of observing of people's online lessons. So I'm working with a student teacher in our school at the minute and a couple of other members of staff have given me permission to kind of virtually uh, learning walk them and see what's going on in their classroom. And one of the things that struck me was that there was a vast difference between when it was easy for students to access what they needed to do and when it was just a little bit more complicated um, because if you think about those moments where it gets a bit complicated saying right this even in your real classroom right so you need this sheet no no not that sheet you know you need no right so get the sheet this is the sheet you need and if that's happening virtually and they've not got somebody to come over and help them with a worksheet and help them with what they need they can very very easily get lost mm -hmm. um so, so to me, I think it's, it's it's absolutely down to minimizing the amount of documents that you use. And where possible, if you're using more than one document, hyperlinking between the two of them so students can really easily click between one and the other. Um, I, I've taught with PowerPoint since I trained to teach and it's just the way I, I sort of I go about planning my lessons, think about planning my lessons. But I've actually done away with those PowerPoint presentations, those Google Slides presentations in, in my lessons now. I just make a worksheet for the students to work through. Um, and they, they follow through that worksheet. I present mine on the screen. They follow through that worksheet as well. Um, and then, then they know where they need to be. They can look at mine, they can reference to theirs. 
Um, and that really helps them with just knowing that once the lesson has started, there's only that one document that they need um, in order to, to be successful in the lesson. Yeah, definitely. Um, and, and and sorry, just to, to put in there, I suppose, I, I've seen it from, from a parent angle as well, where we need to remember that um, <clears throat> the worksheets that we're using or, or, or the resources we're using online need to be different from the ones that we may be printing in our in our, in our classrooms because um i've seen um from my own kind of eyes with, with, with my own kids worksheets that have been sent from the, from the school that they go to where they've got to kind of fill in boxes and that kind of stuff and actually it's not an editable box on on a word document it's almost a picture of something they've grabbed from the internet or somewhere else and actually you can't type into it so you therefore it forces you to have to print it out or to kind of put it in a different format so we need to remember that you know if you want them to work online and then email it back to you um you need to make sure that it is well it's usable i suppose you know yeah, I totally agree. And it's dead, dead simple on a, on a Google Doc, for example, to create a one cell table that they then write into um, and that box expands as they type. And what's nice about doing it in that way as well is that you're not creating a massive box that outfaces some of our students. Um, I know, you know, as an English teacher myself, sometimes students are outfaced by the, the amount of space that they've got to fill when they're writing an answer, but just putting a, a, a cell of a, a table which expands as they type um, just means that they don't have that feeling of fear in a lesson yeah brilliant brilliant and, and also going, going back to the point i made earlier about about mobile phones if you know if they are using a handheld device as well then they might not be able to switch in between different applications that you've got open if you've got word excel powerpoint etc etc so <clears throat> making it as easy as you can possibly can makes it uh, far more accessible for it depending on what you know irrespective of what device they have in front of them yeah, I, I totally agree. And I think the, the other tip I've got in terms of, you know, allowing students to access the materials you put together is just try to keep a regular format for your lessons. You know, like you would in school, students struggle a bit at the start of term, don't they? Because every teacher has slightly different routines, slightly different expectations. But after about a week or so, they get used to that. So I've noticed a big um, increase in engagement in my lessons, in certainly in terms of getting started at the beginning because my students know now that every lesson has a worksheet, which I will present, which they have to access. And I'm getting far fewer of those questions at the beginning of the lesson of students going, Miss, what am I looking at? Which sheet, which sheet, where, what am I doing? Um, so keeping that regular format, I think is, is also really important. I know it's not always doable. Some lessons are a little bit more outside the box, but the more that you can keep things regular, I think the easier it is. Absolutely. And I think, you know, ultimately, we're all as human beings, creatures of habit and, and familiarity. And I think already what I'm seeing coming through from some of your tips, Lizzie, is that or even though we know remote learning or home learning, whatever you want to call it, is, is, is different and very, very different in lots of respects to our classroom practice, there is still quite a lot of fundamental and foundational kind of uh, approaches and theories that are coming through that you would still want to cling to in, in a classroom. You know, the, 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 the one we talked about, about being there before the students, um, you know, making sure that we're, we're kind of building those relationships and speaking to them as individuals. And also now, like I say, keeping that regular format so students know what they're expecting rather than something randomly different every single lesson. And it takes half an hour to adjust to it. So I think it's interesting that we can still hold those same fundamental values of, of what great teaching looks like even though what it might look like to the eye to the naked eye might be slightly different absolutely yeah i totally agree okay so in thinking about our expectations then um and i know i've just said there that you know that, that a lot of those things might stay the same but in terms of expectations then should we should we change our expectations in terms of what we would expect from students in a remote lesson as opposed to what we would have normally expected in a classroom setting should we change our expectations? I think um, we shouldn't change how high our expectations are, but that's perhaps not quite the same as changing your expectations in it. You know, you can still have high expectations, but that doesn't necessarily mean exactly the same thing. Uh -huh. I think um, the thing I learned quite early on, um, and I know I've had conversations with, with both myself and with other members of staff about this too, is to be honest with yourself and to reduce the amount of work that you expect from students in that hour or however long you have it as a lesson um you know they are they are working in different conditions um some of them do have dodgy um dodgy internet connections so they're dipping in and out of lessons so do we sometimes um but actually you won't get through as much in um in an hour online as you would in a classroom-based lesson uh -huh. so i think when you're putting lessons together keeping that in mind, reducing the, the amount that you expect so that you know you can get through stuff um, is really, really important uh, to consider. 
Yeah, and, and I, th- I think like you said there about, um, you know, they're working in different conditions. We need to make sure that we, even though it's obvious when we talk, when we say it out loud, that the classroom is different to the home environment. Uh, and if they are in the home environment, um, it, you know, we, we, we should just alter and, or, or adjust, you know, those expectations slightly so that we, we can be realistic, I suppose, you know. And, and like you said, if you've got a dodgy internet connection or the fact that you've got mum, dad, sister and brother all hammering the internet at the same time for video calls, um, then, you know, that th- there are going to be things that might drop out or technology fails at certain times or or your instructions might not be as clear. So I, I think, yeah, that, that's really useful to remember that, that it is slightly different and not to get worked up too much about trying to replicate the exact amount of work that you would uh, that you would have normally created in, in, a, in an hour lesson or a 45 minute lesson. We know it's different. We know it isn't a complete um kind of you know replica of what would happen in the classroom so just remembering that i think is really useful so yeah absolutely i think so and i think you know yes there's the the, the issues with internet and stuff but they're just if if a student's got a question every student has to ask you you know in 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 a good classroom in a good classroom environment a student will turn to the person next to them and go what have you got to do or am i doing this right well they can't do that online so all of those questions have to come through you now you might be able to create a culture and I'm getting there with one of my classes but I'm not there with all of them yet where a student will post a question in the chat and other students will respond but actually you've got students probably with more wait time than they normally would have in a lesson to have a question answered and then therefore to move on in their task um so that takes up you know that means you get through a bit less as well yeah, absolutely. And, and and like we're both saying now, it's fine that that happens. You know, it's it's not it's not a slight on you as a teacher or thinking, oh, this is taking ages. That is the world of online learning, you know, and it takes a bit longer. And, and that wait time to have things answered and all those type of things, I think is absolutely right. And just by us airing those thoughts and discussing it now, hopefully it'll really kind of help people thinking about that and thinking, yeah, that's fine then. And I'm not... I'm not kind of behind the curve with my own teaching because actually everyone's facing this at the same time. So yeah, that, that's great. Um, I, I mentioned there, or I kind of slipped in the word kind of, or in the last question about, about making things kind of clear, I suppose, as well. So one of the problems, I suppose, is that not being physically with the students can be quite problematic if you aren't that clear with your instructions. Um, are there any ways to increase the clarity of your instructions to reduce the amount of those questions that you mentioned there uh, or the problems that the students may have? Yeah, there's a few things that we've picked up here at school that have made a difference. And again, being in and out of other people's lessons has made a difference in, in you know, I thought I was fine to do a great big spiel of introduction and then to be like, off you go. Um, <laughs> but actually that that doesn't work online. And it, to be honest, it doesn't always work in the classroom either. But, um, you know, you need to make sure that you're breaking your instructions down into really short chunks. And actually, you know, we talk about sometimes about teaching driven by task not being a good thing. But if you can break your lesson down into more smaller tasks, um, that does help students, I think, a lot with with accessing the work online. Mm-hmm. Um, another thing, and it sounds really silly, is, is just make it clear where students have to write on the worksheets that we're producing now. Um, we're turning the boxes of this, the where students actually need to physically type, changing them to a different colour. So those boxes are cream. Mm-hmm. Um, and it means that they can see, well, I've not done anything in there. I must have missed a bit or that must be this bit here that she's talking about. That's that's where I need to type. And that's particularly useful for those weaker students who might be struggling to follow up. I mean, you could even do it within your lesson that you had sort of five different colour boxes. And then you could say to everybody, right, it's the blue box now. Find yourself the blue box. That's the one we're writing in. There's your question. Have a go at your answer. That's great because I think that, you know, irrespective of whether we're talking about teaching and learning here, we we probably as adults see that on online forms that we have to fill out anyway, whether it's a passport application, whether it's a driving license, whether it's a you know bank details, whatever it is, quite often those boxes, like you say, are colored in a in a in a, in a different way to help draw your eyes to them. So you can very quickly scan, you know, or they might even have a red star, you know, that's you know on online forms quite often that say, you know, these are mandatory fields that you have to do before you kind of click submit. So again, why shouldn't we be kind of using those practices in our own teaching learning? We know they're helpful for us as human beings. So let's use what we know is helpful to us and and, and, and put it into our teaching. So yeah, absolutely, that, that's great. Um, so uh, kind of a couple of other things, I think really, it's those thinking of how you check understanding, how you ensure students know what they're doing, where in, in normal circumstances, you'd set students off, wouldn't you? Then you'd have your probably target one, two, and three, uh, the people that you go to first to make sure they know what's going on. Um, and then you'd kind of gen- generally circulate, make sure people knew what they were doing, do some bits of live marking, that kind of thing. So so how can we replicate that in an online classroom? Well, 
you can still target those few students first. You can still go into their uh, Google Doc and have a look, see if they're getting on with anything. You can still pop them a private message and see if they know what's going on um, before you address the whole class. Um, but there's nothing stopping you to ask a few students to unmute themselves and asking them to repeat the instructions back to you. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I tend to do that with a sort of a student who I'll, I'll target first, a student who I'm pretty sure will have understood what's expected of them. Um, then I'll go with someone who, you know, it's 50 50. Um, and then I'll go with someone who is unlikely they've understood. But by the time you get to that third student, you've, you've repeated the instructions. So is the student who knew what to do. So is then the student who wasn't so sure or have had a go and then have had that corrected and helped by you. And then that third student's got an opportunity to then tell you what they need to do. By that point, everybody in the classroom's heard it four times and could probably, you know, their, their, their dog, their sister, their mum, their dad in the house probably knows what they need to do as well. Brilliant. I, I love that. And I think sometimes we we get caught up in so much real um, highbrow kind of pedagogy that we sometimes forget the things that are just really, really simple. Uh, and sometimes, you know, the simplest things are the most effective. And what you've just kind of displayed there is, you know, one of the most simpler things of just repeat this back to me can be a, a huge tool for, for increasing the clarity and kind of breaking it down, you know, in, in, into their own words as well, so that you completely understand what, what what's happened, you know, what, what is about to happen. And the fact that it's been, if it's been rehearsed two or three times in people, you know, via people or in their heads, then clearly it's going to be, uh, it, it's going to be, you know, a lot clearer for them. So yeah, that, that's absolutely brilliant. Um, fantastic. In, moving on then in terms of kind of engagement and interaction, you know, we, we've, we've talked a lot there about kind of, you know, how we get it set up, how we, you know, how we can make sure it's accessible, what we expect from them, um, how we can make sure the instructions are clear. So in, into now kind of the, 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 the engagement, what are some of the best ways you've found to engage and interact with students within the lesson? So once we've kind of got going and everyone's understood it, what, what, what are the best ways to do that? Yeah, great question. I think it's probably like if we're honest as, as teachers, isn't it, that engagement and interaction that we're just missing the most, you yeah. know, that we crave when we spend our days staring at a screen going, anyone? <laughs> no? Have you got a response? You know, you know, and it's that. So how do we make it so that they feel comfortable, so that they feel happy, so that they see the expectation too, that they are still an active part of that lesson uh, in the way that they would be in the classroom? Um there's a few things that, that I've had suggested to me and, and, and I've found really useful. Uh, the first of which is asking uh, a couple of students to unmute themselves before you ask a question. Mm -hmm. So, you know, um, Emma, Ryan, could you unmute your microphones, please? And then you ask the question. Um, and that means you get that kind of immediate response, but also they're expecting to be asked. Um, and that works quite well. It means they're focused on your question. It also means that you can do a bit more targeted questioning as you would do in the classroom, yep. rather than yep. just asking a question and knowing that the three or four students who are most comfortable on an, in an online lesson will answer. Brilliant. Um, I think as well, I've, I've really enjoyed just using the chat function to get everybody involved, especially those closed, more closed questions that you ask in, in the classroom if you're asking for a specific answer. Um, get everybody to type their answer in the chat and then say three, two, one, go, and everybody press send. Um, and you get a whole host of their ideas coming in. And it's just that sense that there is a bit more chatter, a bit more engagement, that you're keeping everybody involved in the lesson. Um, and doing it that way as well, the kind of three, two, one, go way means that the students aren't taking one another ideas and you can be pretty sure that they're coming up with their own. That, that, that's that's really great because I think that there there is a danger where if you if you use the chat function and you ask people to answer a question, then majority of the class can just sit back and wait for the first five or six people to answer it, and you've seen all the answers coming in. It kind of kills any thought process. Whereas, like you said, just by making that slight tweak that you said there getting everyone to think of the question, uh, sorry, think of the answer to the question, writing it in the chat and getting ready to press kind of send when you, when you say everyone has had to think and you're not then giving away the answer before you do that. Or you may even then say, you know, another tweak to that could potentially be that they're all having to think of it, they're all writing it in, and then you only ask, you know, the targeted people who you want to, you know, click send. So, you know, there are, there are lots of different ways so it becomes far more intelligent use of that questioning rather than just basic questioning that gives the game away within three seconds. So yeah, I, I really like that. 
I've just written that down as well. Just ask a few of them to press send. I haven't even thought about <laughs> well, that. That's an excellent idea. So even as we're going through, we're coming up with new ideas. But but that's it. And, and this is the whole point, isn't it? The fact that we're discussing things out loud, or the fact that we're chatting and, and, and using ideas that we've crowdsourced from different areas, then you know all those things just get you thinking. And you th- and we, we we we're learning all the time, and we should never think that we've that we you know, that we've cracked this game. Yeah, ab- absolutely. Um, I think a few other things uh, that are quite useful to do is we've um, we've been trying we um, our starters at, at Stokes are called a braining gear um, and now braining gear tasks which are often retrieval based we've been setting um, them as Google Forms um, and by setting them as a Google Form or indeed doing a quiz a couple of the quiz things I'm going to talk to you about in a minute you get that kind of live feedback and you're able to immediately address misconceptions. Um, in a classroom, um, you think, hang on a minute, you know, 23 of my 26 students didn't know what one of those was. I need to make this a teaching point. I need to talk to them about that before we move forward. Um, and that's that. That's like that kind of hands up if you understand, or it's like that kind of, you know, that constant questioning that you would do in a live classroom that you're perhaps not able to do online. Brilliant. Um, and, and, and just on Google Forms, and that, that's, a, that's a hugely kind of uh, beneficial tool for people to use and if you're not using google forms or if you're not kind of that comfortable with with how to use it we've all got um a subscription to aspire to be uh which is you know a digital package which i know has been sent out to you all about about using all the google tools in in, in google suite for education and there is a course on there in kind of google forms uh short and sweet videos so if you if you are thinking oh, i'd like to know more about that you know we've got access to that follow the link that was sent in the email you know a few months ago uh, if you're not sure how to get to it speak to one of your kind of teaching learning um kind of leads in your school um but i would i would absolutely recommend you to do that because as leslie said there it's fantastic to do whatever you want to kind of judge feedback in it very very quickly to do kind of multiple choice to do open open box questions all that kind of kind of stuff you can do um and and like you say leslie it's great for whether it's a start or whether it's a retrieval practice quiz whatever it is it would massively enhance your learning if you've not got that in your armory already yeah completely and then um... The kind of the, the quiz, there's some quite a lot of quiz websites. I'm sure everyone I've heard of Kahoot, but perhaps not of quizzes, uh, which is quiz with an extra is on the end of it. Um, it's a little bit like Kahoot, but I, I would argue it, it's, it's better. It, it, it kind of um, it puts a live leaderboard uh, on the board or on your screen. It has kind of power-ups that students can can add. Um, there's kind of some some silly teenage memes that go between the questions. Um, they really like the competitive element. There's loads of pre-made quizzes on there, but it also does actually give you that really useful detailed analysis as a teacher of how each student has answered each question and gives you a live uh, a live class percentage. So you can either set your own quizzes up mm-hmm. or you can go on and, and do ones that are already there. And I certainly know as an English teacher, there's been a few that I've used already that are just those kind of generic ones. I did one yesterday on, on using simile and metaphor, and it was just there. It was ready to use, and, and the students really enjoyed it. And, and, and that's great, because from, from two, let me just unpick that from a couple of different angles. First of all, it, it's great to get that engagement. You, you're seeing that feedback. Um, I presume as well that it, it probably motivates boys as well from what we know about boys and, and, and kind of competition. Are, are you seeing anything from, from that angle that they're actually more likely to kind of be engaged in those type of quizzes, Lizzie? Um, I think, yeah, I mean, it seems to have engaged, it seems to have get engaged all of our students. I mean, come on, it's fun. It's fun. Exactly. And not a, a lot about any of our lives at the minute is particularly fun. So to be able to inject some of that into, into our teaching when we know we're actually still really benefiting the students, it's just, it's a, it's a kind of win-win situation. Definitely. And, and also to finish my, my kind of unpacking of that there as well, you also said that, it, you know, there's a lot of already pre-made quizzes that are already there and out there. So again, it's a, it's a time-saving tool. It reduces workload. Things are already there for you. Again, why wouldn't you want to use that if it gives you all those benefits? Exactly. Who doesn't love a time-saver? <laughs> um, anything else on there in terms of, I mean, there's also a hands-up, uh, kind of a hands-up function, isn't there, in, 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 in kind of Google Meet and, and various other packages. How are you kind of using that hands-up hands up function to kind of generate kind of engagement and, and, and those type of things? Yeah, well, we've, we've played around with it in a, in, a, in a few different ways, really. First of all, obviously, you know, in, in the nature that it is intended, I guess, with, you know, if you've got a question or if you've got an answer, put your virtual hand up. Um, quite enjoy as well as a, as a teacher from an administrator point of view you can just lower a student's hand which you obviously can't do in the classroom um but the the other ways in which we're using it are just to do that kind of um, i mean i'm sure we've all experienced the student who registers um and then mutes you um and then goes and does something else uh in their house but 
one of mm. our um, members of staff, for example, um, for example, in school is, is using a timer. She has a timer herself. She sets a timer, 10 minutes or whatever time she's decided. Doesn't tell the students what it's going to be. Timer goes off. She says, right, come on, everyone pop your hand up. And she can see then who's listening, who's there. And then she's got an opportunity while they're carrying on with their work in the next few minutes to go into the work of those students who didn't put their hand up, check they're doing something. Maybe they were just too engaged to hear or to then follow that follow that up in that moment in that 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 disengagement with a lesson so brilliant that's, that's been really useful too. I, I love that and again such a simple function that's already there within there um and we know that you know that, that students might do that and might try it on and just kind of log in and then go back to sleep or whatever so yeah being able to just check that people are still in the room i suppose as as, as virtual as, as that is I, th I think is, is is really important um no i think you're right because we, we you know there's those moments in classrooms aren't they the student daydreaming looking out the window who has effectively muted you and gone and done something else you know the student who is is really struggling to understand and just look panicked but you don't see any of that in a virtual classroom and it, it can be quite daunting as a teacher when you said right crack on and they are ostensibly cracking on, but you've got absolutely no idea what is happening behind all of those blank screens. Um, so it's just another way of just saying sort of, hello, are you still there? Does anyone need me? Perfect, Ex excellent. In, in terms of that then, going, taking that a bit further in terms of now monitoring, uh, monitoring what students are doing, but also assessing and providing some feedback to students. Um, how, how are you doing that within the lesson then? Because I know that's obviously, that, that, that's quite very, very, very difficult because we would normally do that in different ways in the classroom. So how are we doing monitoring, assessing and feedback via live lessons? Yeah, I think um, the, the, the biggest thing I found useful and I know students have, um, I say enjoyed, also found useful is probably a better a better way of putting it is is dipping in and out of their work as they're as they're going through it so you know bringing up uh, their google document where they're typing and just some little kind of you know those verbal feedbacks those those moments where you're saying to a student brilliant yeah great you're going on the right lines so for example yesterday we we're doing a lesson on uh, structuring sentences um, and i kind of just dipping in now going oh hang on a second katie if you just have a look at yours you're probably missing a you're missing a connective in in, in that third one there can you see where my cursor is now but great stuff going on to the next work you know Alex this is great really good listen to this sentence everybody this is what he's done um and as they get used to you dipping in and out of their work more I found quite a few students so are asking me in the chat if I'll go in and have a look at theirs um in the way that they put their hand up in a lesson and you'd go over to them you know those students that just need a little bit more more reassurance that they're they're doing the right thing and, and and that's that just that's amazing how we've shifted on in technology over the last ten or fifteen years, and that's the beauty of using kind of Google Docs, isn't it? Uh, or, or the, you know the, the whole kind of G Suite for for education that that it is live. You can collaborate. You can see what people are doing. I mean, if you go back a few years. Uh, before that collaboration you wouldn't be able to have done that with a, a standalone word document uh, and you certainly wouldn't have been able to do that you know, even further but you know before that when, when when students were using kind of pen and paper so the advances that we've made now uh enable us to do these things and again i would urge people to get as comfortable as you can by using those collaborative tools and being able to see uh, students work live because you're able to do all those amazing things that lizzie talked about there almost as if you are stood over their shoulder looking in their book um rather than just seeing a google doc uh, as a as an old school kind of word document that is theirs that sits on their computer that you can't seem to have emailed it in I, I would again urge you to go and look at some of those training videos that we've got from aspire to be on how you can look at those collaborative tools how you can do uh you know you can comment and, and kind of live chat on a document between two people and that that might even be between two people planning a lesson as well it doesn't have to be between you and a student but as lizzie said there in this sense uh, and, and and in this kind of um in, in this you know, world of remote working it, it is hugely beneficial so yeah i would absolutely agree with you there i think as well most teachers who use google will remember the moment forever when they were told that they could make a copy of a worksheet for every student who would get their own copy of it and i'm sure most people just went to them like oh <laughs> like it's just it's, it's just such a it's just such a great thing to be able to do because it also enables you to differentiate really easily so for example we've been using whole class feedback for a while now in school and i've just produced a whole class feedback sheet and um, click the button which says make a copy for every student now for most students that whole class feedback sheet on its own is absolutely fine and we'll go through that in the lesson together but i've got four or five students in my class who won't be able to identify what mistakes they've made unless i point those out for them so it means that I can go into their versions of the worksheet and either, in the case of some of them, reduce the information that's on that sheet so they're not as outfaced by it, 
or for others of them, leave all the information there, but highlight specifically the things that are relevant to them using the highlighting tool. And it just then means that, you know, for the majority of my students, they're getting that same worksheet, but those that need that little bit of intervention get it. And I think more importantly, see that it's been done at the start of the lesson. So believe they're going to be able to access the online material in the way they might not believe they were going to without it. That's fantastic. I think one of the one of the concerns uh, at the moment really is that because we're just learning, and I say we, I, I talk, I'm talking about the profession as a whole here, because we're just learning about live lessons, the danger is that we, we teach it in a very much one size fits all because you maybe feel that you can't do those differentiated kind of um, tasks, activities, or, or strategies that you would do in the classroom because, well, how am I supposed to do that if I'm, you know, beaming into 30 different households and, and, and trying to, you know, do a live lesson. But the way you've just described that there is, is, a, is a very, very kind of intelligent way of being able to differentiate it, make it bespoke, support your, you know, the, the learners that you know that need that extra support. And also, I think what was really key there that you just kind of slipped in at the end there is also making sure that it's available at the start of the lesson so that students understand and know that they can actually achieve this and not think, oh, I, I'm put off by this because it looks way too difficult and beyond me. Being able to be thinking about those differentiated kind of ways you can do that increases the inclusivity, increases the engagement, increases the accessibility, and ultimately probably makes it far more successful than just, you know, that that one size uh, fits all approach. So yeah, that, that's absolutely brilliant. Um, anything else you've got on that in terms of how you can how you can do that? Um, I think, you know, again, we, we it's easier to chase work that's not done in a real school um, because you can actually physically chase children, um, which we mm. can't do uh, in, in lockdown. Um, but I've found that um, there's a great function on Google, which means you can click a button um, and email all the students at the same time who haven't submitted their work. Now, hopefully it's not a student, but it just, you click on the button, it takes you straight to your email um, and it BCCs those students in so they don't know who else is being emailed as well. Um, and then you can just send a message that says like, you're really sorry, you've not completed the work for today. Please could you make sure it's with me by so and so time um, and then I can get it marked for you. And actually that's spurred a lot of my students on being able to do that. Now, obviously we've, we've got other things at our fingertips too. We can still make phone calls. We can still um, get in touch with those students via a separate email or in the private chat. But for a lot of them, it's, it's often that they've just forgotten to click submit or turn in on their work. So it just gives you that kind of blanket. Um, and again, we talked about time saving earlier. It's a time saving way of just very quickly um, getting in touch with students who, who haven't done their work or indeed getting in, students with, in touch with students who have saying thank you so much for submitting your work on time and um, I'll make sure that there's some feedback on there for next Fantas lesson for you. Fantastic and, um, I, and I'm, a, I'm a big believer that we should be able to use technology to make our lives more efficient uh, and therefore to make us more effective at the same time and, and, and what you've just demonstrated there is yes you could do that in other ways but in terms of an efficiency point of view that sounds like it's a, it's a great way to do it really quickly really easy um, and also to, to kind of generate some kind of call to action as well from your uh, you know fr from, from your students. In terms yeah, of then completely. The, the, we know don't we there at the computer I was just yeah. going to say, we, we know they're at the computers all day, don't we? So, you know, the, the likelihood they're going to get that email is is, is pretty high. Exactly. Um, the only other thing I had, John, in terms of feedback is we've been trying across the trust, haven't we? Um, some, some A verbal feedback tool mm, yes. called Moat. Yep. Um, again, it's another Chrome extension, another one in that, that mutual world of Chrome extensions. But um, it allow, enables you to leave voice notes for your students, either as comments to their work. So I've, I've done a class set of, of, of essays this morning and have left some voice comments with other questions or, or summative comments at the end. But actually equally usefully, um, I know my sister who teaches in a school in London um, said that she'd been using it for, she's got a, an A-level class um, and she wanted them to, to look at her annotations on a poem. But rather than writing her annotations on, she voice recorded her annotations. So it felt a bit more like a lesson for those students because they had to, um, to to listen to the annotation, listen to her, her notes and then make the notes themselves. So it made that a much more interactive process where they really did have to think rather than just um, sort of benignly cop copy things down. Um, I know we've had some feedback from students as well that have said when a teacher's tried to explain something when it's written down, I mean, if you've not understood something as a child, the likelihood is seeing it written down again isn't going to help you. What you're missing is that interaction with the teacher where they talk you through a process or talk you through a formula or, or a sum or, or an explanation of how to do things. And we had a, one email in particular from a student who just said, thank you so much for doing this. It, it wasn't to me, it was to one of our geography teachers. Thank you so much for doing this. Teachers leave comments usually, but hearing you say it has helped me to completely understand it. 
Yeah, and and, and I think that I, I I mean I'm a big believer in in us being able to use that technology that way to to have those kind of voice recorded notes for like you say it's time saving, but also to really just to to explain it in a better way. And I think I mentioned in in episode one with, with Rob and Chris about the fact that the richness in, in how you can do that with your tone, your expression, you can sound excited or really really pleased, or you can sound really really stern if you want. You know, you can't do that with a written word. So I think that that may be where we once we get a little bit more under our belt with more, we might even dedicate a, 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 a specific episode to the use of more in terms of how people have used it because just like this, we're finding that by speaking to teachers on the ground, we're getting so many different ways um, of, of people doing really kind of in, innovative things. I think that might be a really useful thing in, in the future. Um, I totally agree. And I, I like the way you talked about tone there. I've certainly done a good couple of uh, disappointed moats. Uh, <laughs> not being submitted and then and they have produced fruitful results as well so there you go yeah absolutely well it's using all of the all of our kind of skills of our voices and pitch and tone and everything to, to to get the designated result we want and um, just to, to for the last question now picking up on what we, we we started to talk a little bit um in in the previous question about how we can really support students i suppose um you know to, to kind of monitor and assess them and we, we we almost got into talking about students that were maybe struggling a little bit or ones that we maybe weren't kind of um sure that they They'd kind of um you know, they kind of grasp what we were what we were doing so for students that we know or, or that we kind of see within the lesson that we, that require extra help uh, or are struggling how can you support them during a live lesson yeah good question and again something we're still sort of exploring we're still learning about ourselves with some of our teaching systems working in schools some of them working remotely you know finding different ways that we can support support our students i think the way you phrase that question john is just worth drawing people's attention back to you know you talked about the students who you know are going to struggle or those students who you see are struggling um I don't know if other teachers have had the same experience I would imagine that you have that there are some students who are absolutely capable proficient in your classroom but actually are, are not coping well with uh, the transition to online learning perhaps it's that they need that reassurance more perhaps it's that they they miss the kind of the human contact perhaps it's just they're really not good with technology um but, but for whatever reason, I think it's really important that you don't kind of just carry over your expectations of who will cope well and who will struggle from your classroom into the into the online environment, because it works the other way around, too. I've got a few students who who really struggle in school, but are absolutely flying um, with the work that they're being set online mm. um, because they've just got that bit more space. Perhaps they're not as anxious. Perhaps they haven't got the distractions that they might have in a classroom. And actually they're, they're, they're finding it really useful. So I think it's worth saying to all teachers, you know, just be aware, and I'm sure you already are, that those, those, those students who are struggling are not necessarily all the same ones that, that, that would in your real classroom. And, and, and I, I, just before you move on to the next point there, I think you, you, you've kind of, your point of emphasis there was was on the you know, on the kids who 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 you think might struggle or might not, but it's also worth thinking about the students now, like you said there, that are suddenly flying online, who who aren't in your classroom, and therefore post pandemic and when we're back to whatever kind of normal it's going to look like in a few weeks or months' time, how can you then capitalize and utilize the, 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 that that kind of engagement that those students did have? online and that were flying online that maybe struggle in a classroom sense and how can you still use these tools moving forward to engage those students because um i think it, you know, there will be some students that for whatever reason get um you know engage in other things in the classroom or distracted or or, or feel like they can't speak in front of other students or they're shy or whatever it is and, and like you say are flying online so i think it's really worthwhile remembering those students and thinking how we can utilize that moving forward yeah, totally, John. I completely agree. Um, a kind of a few other strategies we've we mentioned already, you know, um, colouring in the colour of the box for where they can write, that that kind of stuff. Um, but I think it's important that we use the tools that we've got in front of us and 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 and, and harness those too. So things, for example, once students know what they need to do, there's nothing to stop you asking them to leave your Google Meet or, or you know and get on with that work. But you stay there and then they just log back in and ask support ask for support if they need it you know a lot of our students who want to ask for support don't want to do so in in front of a live audience um and and so that when that when that audience is reduced when there are fewer people left they're perhaps more likely to to ask the questions um equally you can tell students to leave but you can ask three or four to stay behind uh, that works quite well as well 
um, it means that you're often left with that smaller, weaker group of students who, who you can support. Perhaps you can go through the material again. Perhaps you can go through it together with them feeding back answers in the chat, but with, with fewer people typing answers, with fewer people feeding back answers. Um, you might even get them that they've got the confidence when there are a few people there to perhaps turn on their videos and, 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 and collaborate with you like that, because they might be students for whom, you know, that, that visual interaction is, is really, really important and what they're missing. Um, and the other thing you could do, and I know our, our fabulous um, SEN department are, are doing this in some lessons, is that the, the TA or, or another member of staff is setting up a mini Google Meet. So the, the main lesson starts and then the TA will set up a separate Google Meet with the students with whom they're supporting. Um, and then the lesson will kind of continue on in there and then they'll come back in and join the main meet at the end of the lesson. Um, which is working really, really well with some groups of students. And again, just gives them that confidence to be working one-to-one -one with um, with the person who's there supporting them. Brilliant. And, and, and I think you know, the, the big message there then is don't be, a, you, know, you don't think, feel that you have to have all the students with you at all times. You can, like say, let them go, set them off on independent work. And something that Rob and uh, Chris and I discussed in the first episode was that, you know, how you structure a live lesson. You don't have to have the students with you for the whole hour. It's about, you know, you might set them up with something and then, then let them go independently. You might ask them to come back towards the end. You might set them up independently and leave the class up, leave the Google Meet open as a, as a, as a kind of a one-to-one -one check in for students. There's a whole, way, a whole different ways to do that and i also like the way you've almost created a kind of a breakout room there with a new google meet i know there are breakout rooms available in what uh, staff at north allerton use in terms of webex and uh, and there are things coming in kind of in, in in google over the next kind of few months but creating that almost that separate little breakout room is really useful for the the ta to kind of work in a in a smaller group or one-to-one -one with somebody to get that again trying to replicate those kind of fundamental principles that we would have in, in a classroom so yeah all of those are absolutely brilliant um I think that that brings us to the end really of of, of what has been um a mammoth kind of set of um tips really then and at my count of my ticks on my sheet in front of me i think we're over 20 kind of gold nuggets there well over 20 which is which is incredible to to think that already in such a short space of time um you know of, of being back into kind of live lessons and remote learning that we've generated so many innovative um and outstanding uh, ways that we can improve the quality of our of our lessons so i hope that people have been able to um jot lots of things down either with pen and paper or in your notes app or you've been pausing this or you, you might want to revisit this episode from time to time to go back to some of those ideas but Lizzie, I just want to say a, a big, big thank you to, to not only to you for coming on today uh, and discussing all these, but also to all of the staff that have actually helped crowdsource this. Because like I said right at the top of the show, that this is more far more powerful when we do generate ideas, you know, from the from the ground upwards. Um, and then we're really working with staff on, 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 on sharing those best practices. So thank you once again, Lizzie. You, you've been... Um, a delight to have on you've, you've shared some amazing kind of tips there um and i just want to say you know i hope everyone can use those moving forward so that we can you know because we don't know how long we're going to be in this for you know at the moment we're talking about it being up until february half term but you know it could be longer than that so certainly try these things out um you know push the envelope a little bit and and and, and do try some new things and uh, yeah thank you once again lizzie it's been fantastic no worries thank you ever so much and again thank you so much to the staff at our school here who are working incredibly well as I know staff in other schools are you know working together collaborating sharing best practice and you know if we've got 20 ideas now uh, what's it going to be like in, in another two weeks and, I, and I'm, I'm hoping that my list grows that your list grows so that um that we all find lots of different ways of working in these situations we find ourselves in educators are pretty pretty impressive I think thanks for listening to the ALT Learn podcast We'll be back soon with another episode where we'll be speaking to more of our teachers and finding out how they're turning theory into practice. Until then, take care.